Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, indeed, we thank you that you are before all things and in you all things work together and exist. And indeed, Lord, we thank you that there is nothing that is worth more than the relationship we have with you in this life. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessing upon each one, that we would continue to experience your love in a deeper and real way. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us, the promise of eternal life and the adoption into your family. And we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. And if we can just turn off the monitors, please. Thank you. They're not on? Okay. It's my hearing. It must be. Yeah. <laughs> it's all that listening to people pray and all that. <laughs> well, welcome to you. There was a man who broke into a home one night, and he went to rob the home. Upon trying to grab all that he could in the pitch black, only with the flashlight he had, he heard a voice say, Jesus is watching you. He started to shine his light around to see who was saying it, and he couldn't find anybody. So again, he started throwing everything that he could see in sight into his bag. Again, he heard the voice say, Jesus is watching you. Finally, he shone the light and found that it was a parrot that was talking to him. He says, you stupid parrot, don't tell me Jesus is watching me. The parrot says, my name is Moses. He says, who is stupid enough to name their parrot Moses? He says, the parrot said, probably the same people stupid enough to name their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching you. <laughs> well, this morning, the passage that we will be focusing on today is the account of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and the story is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm not going to, to read the whole passage, but I will summarize part and then we'll read part. But if you want to turn to that passage, 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 16. After Israel had gone more than three years without rain as judgment for their idol worshiping, them worshiping the Baals, the prophet Elijah decided to confront the evil king Ahab. He confronted him and not only confronted him, but challenged him to what we could call almost like a spiritual showdown. So challenged him to that. The king was to have all of Israel gather at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of the false god Baal and the 400 prophets of the false goddess Asherah. On Mount Carmel, Elijah said to the people, as recorded in verse 21 of this passage, he asked, how long will you waver between two options, opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Elijah then challenged the people of Baal to prepare a bull offering for their God. Elijah would do the same. But here was the catch. 
there was to be no fire lit on the altar. The God who answered them with fire would be declared the true God. Then the people agreed. They agreed that this was a good plan, so the prophets of Baal went first. They were the first ones to go. The pagan prophets called out, they cried out, they danced around the altar from morning till noon, but Baal did not answer. There was no answer from their God. There was no response. Then Elijah began to mock them. In verse 27, we read him saying, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought, or maybe he's busy or traveling, or maybe he's sleeping and, and he needs to be awakened. Elijah taunted them and mocked them. So the prophets of Baal shouted louder. They slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. Despite hours of effort on their part, nothing happened. The historian's comments hint at the fact that the Baal worship was empty. There was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then it was Elijah's turn. It was then that we see that God came and showed up. But before Elijah prayed to God, he did something remarkable. He drenched the altar with water. He drenched the complete area with water. And today we'll start from verse 30. 1 Kings chapter 18, starting the reading from verse 30 to 39. And if you are able to stand with me, would you please stand with me? When it was Elijah's turn, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two shields of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. So that was 12 times. Verse 35, the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning, that you are turning their back, hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Then all the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, 
The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is indeed God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And indeed, Lord, we thank you for the evidence that there is that you are alive and well and seated on the throne. And indeed, Lord, we pray this morning that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you, O God, and that indeed you would help us to hear your word and to be obedient in responding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. Elijah lived at a time in Israel where faithfulness to the God of Israel was not only uncommon, but it was also dangerous. It was very uncommon, but even more so dangerous. The prophets of God had been executed. The worship of the Baals was widespread, and it was popular. Many people decided to turn to these Baals, or what we would say false gods, these idols, to worship them with promise that they would answer, that they would help, that they would be the ones to save the people. Many people decided to turn to these gods. And in turn, we see that the false prophet or the false god Baal had 450 prophets. And Asherah, another kind of Baal, had 400 prophets, the scripture tells us. Elijah tells us in the text that he is the only prophet of God left. But even though Elijah was alone, he was maybe the only prophet left or one of the only few left who was bold enough to approach King Ahab, we see that God was on his side, that God did not leave him alone, but God was still with him. Sometimes as Christians, you may feel that you are alone. Do you ever find that being a Christian is difficult? Maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace, or the only Christian who is in your school, or the only Christian who surrounds yourself in your family, or the only Christian at the gym that you go to, or at the book club you're in, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you find that in those times, it's difficult to truly be a Christian. You see, when we're surrounded by other Christians, it's easy for us to talk about God. It's easy for us to praise God and lift our hands and worship him. But what about when we're the only Christian around? Is it as easy for us to still worship God and express his praise the same? And oftentimes the answer is it is difficult because it, it's a different circumstance. There is a, a feeling and a tendency to think that people are judging us, that people are passing comments, that it's making other people feel uncomfortable. However, Elijah knew that even though he was by himself, God was still with him. You see, we live in a society, and more specifically, this time and age where there is this tendency for people to think and believe and to feel and to do whatever they feel like doing. Have you noticed that? Dress how you want. The less you wear, the more attractive you are. Believe whatever you want because it's a free country. You can believe it. You can pray to it. You can say it. Whatever you want, you should be able to think that way. 
There is a tendency for the society to lead us astray if we're not grounded. There is a saying that says if you don't believe in something, you will fall for anything. And often it is important for us as Christians, and I say this all the time, to not only believe what we believe, but to understand what we believe and why we understand what we believe. So that when that time comes for your faith to be called into question, you can stand and not stumble and fall. You see, this society tells us how we should live or to live however we please, but the Word of God, the Bible, tells us differently. There is a standard in which God has set for us to live. There is a standard in which God has called us to. And many times people feel that they can pick and choose what they believe. They can pick and choose different passages of the Bible that they appeal to them and that they want. However, we know that God says not to add or subtract to his word, but we must preach it, we must teach it, we must live it in the whole, in completion. How many of you like to go to buffets? Oh, come on. (laughs) Be honest, (laughs) right? If you're honest enough. So if you go to a buffet, why do you enjoy going to a buffet, those of you who go? There's variety, right? There's choice. You can choose what you want. You see, many people have taken the word of God to be almost like a buffet, to pick and to choose what appeals to them, what they want to believe, what they want to accept, what they want to follow, and then leave those things that they don't want behind. And that is exactly the reason why there are so many cults. There are so many different religions in this world. People who have chosen to take a part of something and then do something else with it. And this is the same. It stems way back from Elijah's day and beyond where the people who knew and who heard of the one true living God still decided to do their own thing and worship the Baals, still decided to go and to worship these false gods, knowing and trying to believe that they were real, but creating them in their image. Did you know that people try to do that? They try to create God in their image, and, and whatever, there are different people, if you ask them what God is like, there are so many different responses. Well, God might be like a, a father. God might be like a, an old man with a white beard and maybe a staff. There are so many different ideas of what God is like. But when we truly look at the Bible, it truly gives us that picture of what God is and then what he's not. And so we must not create God in our own image, but know that he is real and the Bible describes him. Elijah wanted to prove to the people that there was only one true living God. And when it came to the worship of the Baals, it was because there were so many different gods. So they were, they were all, there wasn't just one Baal, so that you're, you're clear. There were many different Baals. So there may have been a god of the sun, a god of fertility, a god of the earth, a god of soil, a god of whatever. So they were the Baals. 
these false gods. But Elijah wanted to prove that there was only one true living God and that he did. And today I'm here to tell you once again that there is only one true living God. One true living God. There are so many people who are desperate to feel that they are part of something bigger, that they're part of something greater. And what saddens me is to know that there are so many people around us, maybe people in your workplace, people in your school, people in your building that you live in, people that you meet on a regular basis who have no hope beyond the grave. Isn't that sad? What are you living for? Sometimes I, I think, and, and I don't know if, if you've done this, sometimes I think if I wasn't a Christian, if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't know God, where would I be? What would I be doing? Would I get to have all these nice shoes? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. But sometimes I wonder, where would I be? Have you ever wondered about that? If you didn't believe in God, if you didn't know him as your Lord and Savior, where would you be? Would there really be a reason to wake up every morning and live? Would there really be a reason when you go through trials in your life that push you to the edge to continue to live and not end your life? Would there really be a reason? You see, there are so many people all around us who are hurting because they don't understand that there's something greater for them in store. They don't understand that there's something more to this life than what the eye sees every day. And they wake up, they go to work, they pay bills, they struggle to survive, maybe have some fun, go to bed, and then do it all again. And they wonder, is there more to this life? Is there more to this? And the answer is yes, there is more. There is one true living God. There is more. There is hope in this life, and that hope is Jesus. So that when we go through those difficult situations in our job, in our family, with our finances, in our health, whatever it may be, there is a reason to continue to praise the Lord because he is with us. And his word says that he will never leave us or forsake us. Elijah called upon God in verse 36. He referred to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now, why did he refer to God in this way? And here's a quick lesson for you. He referred to God as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Or sometimes in the Bible, you'll read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And we know that God had made a covenant with Abraham, and then he reaffirmed it through Isaac and through Jacob. And so we see that he is basically saying in this sense of, I'm telling you which God it is, so that there's no mistake so that you don't think that it's one of your gods or one of the Baals or a different kind of God, but this is the one true living God, the God who made that covenant with Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel.
He determined that this was the one true living God, and he said that I will call upon this God, and he will answer the God of the Bible. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful out there because there's much... Um, there's many people who are believing in something that isn't true. And I've, you've probably heard this term of people say, well, we, we worship the same God just in different ways. Have you heard that? No. There is one true living God, and if you are not calling on him by name, then guess what? You're not calling on the right God. Jehovah God the God of the Bible, the God who created everything is the one true living God. I love talking about God because he is just so amazing. And when I read things in the Bible, sometimes it gives me goosebumps to know that this God loves us, that his love goes beyond all measure, all understanding. A passage like Colossians verse 1 Sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. God has created every single thing that is seen and that is unseen. And there is a world, a spiritual realm that we have not even seen with our own physical eyes that is out there. And he has created all things for his purpose, for him. And it is in him that we find meaning and purpose. And it is only when we come into an everlasting relationship with that one true living God that we can experience purpose for our life. It is only then that we can experience hope and joy and peace and to know that when those times come that shake us up, it is because of that assurance of that relationship with him that we will still be able to be left standing. You see, when we had that ice storm, you remember that ice storm? Oh, yes. You see, when we had storms like that and when we had other difficult storms, there are many trees that broke and that fell over. There are many trees, and there was a big cleanup afterwards. And you see, a tree that is planted, if its roots are not deep enough, will fall. When the wind blows, it'll shake and eventually fall. But the deeper that the roots go, are you with me? The deeper the roots go, the stronger that tree is. And I'm not talking about physical strength with us. But the stronger we are spiritually, the more grounded we are in the word of God, in our relationship with God, the more we will be able to withstand that pressure when it comes. That one true living God reminds us that he is with us and that he will help us. You see, no matter what we go through, God is still God. And we were created to worship him. God is God all by himself, and beside him there is no other. We were created to worship the one true 
living God. Not to make him into our own image, but to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he is absolutely amazing. He's unchangeable. He is unshakable. He is unstoppable. He is indescribable, the God that we serve. And we are not to put God in a box and put a label on him and to tell him what he must and mustn't do in our lives. But we are to let him free and to let him move and to have his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is God. And he has created each and every one of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And you see, God has created us. And he has breathed the breath of God into us. And there is a longing and a desire within each and every one of us to know God in a complete state. And people don't understand that. And and some deny it and they don't agree. But if you look at the world... There is a longing for something greater than ourselves. And so many people run around trying to fill that emptiness and that void with things of the world, with sex and drugs and pornography and gambling and their career and money and and men and women and all of these things that may temporarily satisfy them, but then leaves them empty. And it is only when we have that relationship with God that we will be satisfied and full. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have good things in life and enjoy certain things, but I'm saying when we put that in that place of God to satisfy us, that's when the trouble comes. There is nothing that should come before our relationship with him. And it is only when we have that relationship with him that we truly will be satisfied. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. He challenged them. He said, you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So basically what he was saying is, let's test and see. You people believe that you serve the right God, and I believe that the God I serve is the right God, so why don't we have a little test? We'll both have sacrifices, and there'll be no fire. You call on your God, I'll call on mine. The God who answers with fire, we will declare the true living God. Sounds simple enough, right? Whoever wins, then we will declare the one true living God. Elijah believed that God would do what he promised. However, it was a big step for him to believe. Could you imagine how much faith Elijah would have had to truly believe that his life was on the line? God, you better show up. God, don't let me down. You said you were going to do this, and I'm waiting, God. The people of Baal, they cried out to their God. They danced around, Scripture says. They cried out. They they called on him. They pleaded with him. They begged him. They even cut themselves as rituals to sacrifice. And he still did not answer. And could you imagine how Elijah would have felt when it was his turn? Okay, God, don't make me do that. But the wonderful thing is, 
is he didn't have to do that. He had to believe and to trust God. And you see, sometimes it pushes our faith when we really have to trust God to come through for something. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to really just let go and trust that God would work a situation out? Many of you know this, or some of you know this, I've said this, but um, my friend Raven says that I'm a bit controlling sometimes. <laughs> she, says, she says, I like to do things a certain way, and which is true when I think about it. There, you know, some of you, you, you like to do things a certain way, right? Right? You like to do things a certain way. So I'm the same like that. And if something really important needs to get done, I like to do it myself, right? You like to make sure. But there comes a time in life where we no longer have control over certain things. And the only person that we have to trust is God. And Elijah was there. And it may be difficult in those times for us to truly trust God. But I want to encourage you to trust him, knowing that he will not fail you. He may not always come through when you think he should or the way that he should but he will come through. He is a faithful God. They screamed, they cried, they sang, they begged, they pleaded, but their God did not come. They did not, he did not answer. And I'm sure they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed that this God that they had, were so committed to did not answer them. But yet, the God of Israel did. And this can show us that nothing is impossible for God. Elijah proved this. Nothing is impossible for God. There is nothing that is out of his reach that he is not able to do. There are so many things that we think that we need to take control of when we, all we need to do is just to let God take control because he can do it much better than we can. God is so big and so mighty and so strong, and there's nothing that is without his permission and under his control. Have any of you ever tried to start a campfire? No? No, you have. Mr. Hernandez, you have. Now, okay, so you think I don't know much about campfires, but now you think it's difficult enough to try to start a campfire, right? Okay, you bring a blowtorch. Okay, so you make it a little easier, right? Now, now think about, so you try to go the easy way. But it is difficult if you didn't have a blowtorch, right? Okay, now think about having wet wood. Is it easy? Okay, so, so, sorry? Is it impossible? Wet wood. If the wood was slightly wet, it, it, there might be a, a possibility, let's say, okay? Let's just say you're optimistic, the wood was slightly damp, a possibility. Now, let's say the wood was drenched. It was actually still soaking in water. <laughs> Is it easy to start that fire? It's pretty much impossible, right? Mr. Chanchun, it's impossible, yet, Elijah said, now it's my turn, and not only am I going to call on God to start this fire, but I'm going to pour water on it. 
And he told the people, come and bring buckets of water. And I don't want you only to wet the wood and the altar. I want you to drench it. So the stones, the sacrifice, everything around it to the trench was not only wet, but filled with water. And this was to show the people that nothing is impossible for God to do. And God was still able to bring his fire down. And it not only said consumed everything, but even licked up, it says in scripture, the water around the trench to show that truly he is God. There is nothing outside of his power. God doesn't need to prove himself to anyone. However, he still is in the business of revealing himself to us. You see, he loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to call on him. And he wants us to believe that nothing is impossible for him to do. Elijah simply prayed. He called on God and said, Let them see you, that you are God, and that I am your servant. Answer me so that they can see that you are really God and that they will turn back to you. That is all he said. And immediately the fire fell of the Lord fell. Maybe you've been going through a difficult situation. Maybe you've been going through health struggles, financial struggles, struggles with your job, struggles with your spouse, struggles with your children, struggles with other fellow believers, struggles with your family, whatever it may be. Whatever struggles you may be going through, know that God is able that God is able to help. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And Matthew 19, verse 26 says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things are possible, not some things, all things. God is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. There is no change with him. And when the fire fell, it proved that nothing is impossible. And the fire of the Lord can fall again. His miracles can still happen. We may say, we don't see miracles happen. Yes, we do. We have to look. I see people who were on their deathbed, raised to life. I hope she doesn't mind sharing this, but when I started as an intern here at Rosewood, one of the first people I remember visiting with Pastor Nick was Miss Carmen Weeks. And I don't know if she remembers this, but Carmen was very, very sick. So sick that we almost thought that, you know what, unless the Lord touches her, there is no hope. And that was years ago, and the Lord has brought healing to her. The Lord has restored her. The Lord has helped her. And now she's able to celebrate her 50th wedding anniversary. (laughs) And there are so many cases like that where we have seen people who are on their deathbed get healed. God is still in the business of performing miracles. We need to believe. We need to petition. 
We need to pray. We need to intercede because that is what opens up that doorway for those miracles to happen. The fire of the Lord can fall again. Do you believe that? The fire of the Lord can fall again. God can still do what man thinks is impossible. God is the one who has the last say. God is the one who says when life is over. God is the one who says when this shall end. God is the one who says and decides. His fire can fall again. His fire fell to prove that he was indeed God so that the people would understand that there was nothing too difficult for him. He was the same God who spoke creation into being and he is the same God today who calms the storms in our life. The God who parted the Red Sea, the God who raised the dead, the God who caused the walls of Jericho to fall, the God who healed, who gave sight to the blind, who gave speech to the mute, who was able to heal lepers, who was able to do what no one else could do or even explain. But God is still God today, and his fire can still fall. You see, nothing is impossible for God, and the amazing thing is that we can call upon God and know that he answers us. We can call upon God and he answers us. And that is so remarkable, not only because he is so big and so great, but when we truly understand that we are a sinful people. And the fact of the matter is that we have no right to approach the throne of God. We don't. We have no right to approach the throne of God, but because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love, he gives us that right to boldly approach his throne. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and that veil in the temple was torn, he said, it is finished. The sacrifices were over. He said the separation from man and God is over. You now can approach the throne. Before that, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies was hidden. No one could enter except the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. But yet, when he died, he said, it's done. That separation is finished. I have made a way so that you could have access to God. He has given us that right. He has given us the right to be called children of God. And there is nothing that can separate us. The, the scripture says that not death or life, angels or demons, heaven or hell, nothing, the future or the past, whatever it is, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing. And that is so amazing to know that we can approach his throne, call on his name. He has given us that right but you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have not taken advantage of that or have abused it. Not taken advantage of it in the sense of we may only pray when we come to church. 
We may only pray when an emergency happens. We may only pray when people come over to our house for dinner and we want to look holy. We may only pray when we're asked to pray, but aside from that, we don't. And that's a shame because God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is that one who loves us so much. The psalmists say that his thoughts towards us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. His thoughts towards us. He desires to have a relationship with us. Shouldn't we even more desire to have that relationship with him? Some of us have not taken advantage of the fact that he gives us the right to call on his name. Some of us have abused it in the sense that we call on his name, but yet when we call on his name, we come with almost like a shopping list. God, can you do this? I need you to do that. I need you to bring me this. I need you to give me that. I need you to bless me with this. I need you to bless that person with that. Do you know what I'm talking about? And that's fine that we go to God with requests, but God also wants us just to spend time with him, just to praise him for the fact that he is God. You see, if God never blessed us with absolutely anything in this life, there would still be reason for us to praise him for the simple fact that he is God. But yet he has given us more than we could ever imagine, and we have the right to come before him, to praise him. And let's not come with our shopping list of saying, God, do this and do that. God's not a genie in the bottle to perform whatever wishes you want or I want. We were created to worship him, to serve his purposes, to bless his name, to glorify him. And the fact that he blesses us is just a bonus. May we call on his name, knowing that he hears us and that he answers. We have the right because of him. We live in a society, as I said, where we can worship what we want, we can believe what we want, we can think however we want. But God calls us to make a choice, to make a choice, to make a decision to follow the one true living God follow him. Although there were so many different Baals, different gods to worship, on Mount Carmel, in verse 21, Elijah said to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. You see, the people were wavering between the two. They weren't sure exactly what they should believe in, so they decided to almost sit on the fence, so to speak. So when time came to worship that, they would worship that. When time came to worship that, they would worship that. Not sure what to do. God calls us to make a decision. If we're not with him, then we're against him. We need to come to that point of making a decision. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. It's one or the other. A choice needs to be made. And I believe that there are many people who come through the doors of not only this church, but other churches, 
who are sitting on the fence, who aren't sure exactly what's happening, but know that they probably should go to church. Maybe we're taught at a young age to believe in God. Maybe your family, your mom or your grandma or your aunt or your stepmom has been praying for you diligently throughout the years. And, And so you come to please them maybe. But God calls us to make a choice, to choose for yourself. You see, you're not going to get to heaven based on your family's faith. (laughs) You're not going to get to heaven based on the faith of the lay people in your church. You're not going to get to heaven based on uh, the pastor's faith or anybody's faith. But this is how the Bible, the Word of God says. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it calls us to make a choice, to make a decision, to claim for ourselves that this is what I believe. Have you made that decision? People often say, Pastor Lisa, you preach on almost the same thing all the time. You talk about God's love and you talk about, you know, believing in him and and, and death. And honestly, that's what I believe in. I believe that God's love goes beyond all understanding in this life. And I believe that without him, we are lost. And there is, despite what people may tell you, not everyone goes to heaven. But there is hell, and it is a reality, and I don't want to see anyone go there. And so for as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will continue to preach that message, that there is a God who loves you. God calls us to make a decision. And I urge you, I urge you not only for yourself, but for your family members, for your loved ones, for your coworkers, for your neighbors, for those you come in contact with, to let them know about this God. To let them know that the fire can fall again. That God can reveal himself, that he is the one true living God, and that nothing is impossible for him to do. There is a song that says, Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Do you believe that God is mighty to save today? Would you stand with me? And as the worship team comes, and as we close, if perhaps today you need to come and to pray, just spend some time around the altar. Again, forget about what other people think. Forget about what people may judge you and think, but maybe you need to come and say, God, I just want you to reveal yourself to me in a deeper way. I want to strengthen my walk and my relationship with you. God, I need you to remind me that despite the situation that I may be going through with whatever in my life, that nothing is impossible for you. Or that, God, I just need you to help me in my spiritual walk so that I will have a healthy, regular prayer life to approach your throne regularly. Or, God, I need you to help me to make a decision to stop sitting on the fence, not to be lukewarm, but to be hot and to be ready to serve you. Or maybe you have, we all have, family who don't yet know the Lord, who are not believers yet, and you need to pray for them. 
And the burden of my heart and my desire is that we pray for our lost ones, the ones that we love who don't yet know the Lord because God is still in the business of revealing himself. And so as we sing, I encourage you to come and pray, whatever it may be that God has laid on your heart. Come and as we sing.